This episode of Getting the Word with Truth's Table is brought to you by IVP. Revival starts when people pray together, but maybe you long for something more than just another prayer meeting. Keep listening to learn more about how intercession can transform the world in Carolyn Carney's new book, The Power of Group Prayer. And by Truth's Table. If you've been blessed by these daily audio Bible podcast readings, please consider supporting Truth's Table on Patreon at patreon.com slash truthstable. This is IVP. Listening to Get in the Word with Truth's Table. Your word is truth, your word is life. Presented by Innervar City Press. Your word is truth, your word is life. A daily audio Bible podcast read by Dr. Christina Edmondson and Akemeni Uwan. Let's get in the Word, and may the Word get in us. Open our eyes, that we may behold wonderful things in your Word. Old Testament reading, Psalm chapter 74, beginning at verse 1. A well-written song by Asaph. Why, O God, have you permanently rejected us? Why does your anger burn against the sheep of your pasture? Remember your people, whom you acquired in ancient time, whom you rescued, so they could be your very own nation, as well as Mount Zion where you dwell. Hurry to the permanent ruins and to all the damage the enemy has done to the temple. Your enemies roar in the middle of your sanctuary. They set up their battle flags. They invade like lumberjacks, swinging their axes in the thick forest. And now they are tearing down all its engravings with axes and crowbars. They set your sanctuary on fire. They desecrate your dwelling place by knocking it to the ground. They say to themselves, we will oppress all of them. They burn down all the places in the land where people worship God. We do not see any signs of God's presence. There are no longer any prophets, and we have no one to tell us how long this will last. How long, O God, will the adversary hurl insults? Will the enemy blaspheme your name forever? Why do you remain inactive? Intervene and destroy him. But God has been my king from ancient times, performing acts of deliverance on the earth. You destroyed the sea by your strength. You shattered the heads of the sea monster in the water. You crushed the heads of Leviathan. You fed him to the people who live along the coast. You broke open the spring and the stream. You dried up perpetually flowing rivers. You established a cycle of day and night. You put the moon and sun in place. You set up all the boundaries of the earth. You created the cycle of summer and winter. Remember how the enemy hurls insults, O Lord, and how a foolish nation blasphemes your name. Do not hand the life of your dove over to a wild animal. Do not continue to disregard the lives of your oppressed people. Remember your covenant promises, for the dark regions of the earth are full of places where violence rules. Do not let the afflicted be turned back in shame. Let the oppressed and poor praise your name. Rise up, O God, defend your honor. Remember how fools insult you all day long. Do not disregard what your enemies say. 
or the unceasing shouts of those who defy you. Second Chronicles chapter 36, verses 22-23 through 23. Cyrus allows the exiles to go home. In the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, in fulfillment of the Lord's message spoken through Jeremiah, the Lord motivated King Cyrus of Persia to issue a proclamation throughout his kingdom and also to put it in writing. It read, This is what King Cyrus of Persia says, The Lord God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He has appointed me to build a temple for him in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Any one of his people among you may go up there, and may the Lord his God be with him. Ezra chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. The Decree of Cyrus. In the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, in fulfillment of the Lord's message spoken through Jeremiah, the Lord motivated King Cyrus of Persia to issue a proclamation throughout his kingdom and also to put it in writing. It read, This is what King Cyrus of Persia says, The Lord God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He has appointed me to build a temple for him in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Any one of his people among you, may his God be with him, may go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and may build the temple of the Lord God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. Anyone who survives in any of those places where he is a resident foreigner must be helped by his neighbors with silver, gold, equipment, and animals, along with voluntary offerings for the temple of God, which is in Jerusalem. The exiles prepare to return to Jerusalem. Then the leaders of Judah and Benjamin, along with the priests and the Levites, all those whose mind God had stirred, got ready to go up in order to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. All their neighbors assisted them, silver, utensils, gold, equipment, animals, and expensive gifts, not to mention all the voluntary offerings. Then King Cyrus brought out the vessels of the Lord's temple, which Nebuchadnezzar had brought from Jerusalem and had displayed in the temple of his gods. King Cyrus of Persia entrusted them to Mithridath the treasurer who counted them out, to Shezbazar, the leader of the Judahite exile. The inventory of these items was as follows. 30 gold basins, 1,000 silver basins, 29 silver utensils, 30 gold bowls, 410 other silver bowls, and 1,000 other vessels. All these gold and silver vessels totaled 5,400. Shezbazar brought them all along when the captives were brought up from Babylon to Jerusalem. Daniel chapter 9, beginning at verse 1. Daniel prays for his people. In the first year of Darius, son of Ahasuerus, who was of Median descent and who had been appointed king over the Babylonian empire in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, came to understand from the sacred books that the number of years for the fulfilling of the desolation of Jerusalem, which had come as the Lord's message to the prophet Jeremiah, would be 70 years. So I turned my attention to the Lord God to implore him by prayer and request with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God, confessing in this way, O Lord, great and awesome God, who is faithful to his covenant with those who love him and keep his command. We have sinned. We have done what is wrong and wicked. We have rebelled by turning away from your commandments and standards. We have not paid attention to your servants, the prophets, who spoke by your authority to our kings, our leaders, and our ancestors, and to all the inhabitants of the land as well. You are righteous, O Lord, but we are humiliated this day, the people of Judah, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far away, and all the countries in which you have scattered them, because they have behaved unfaithfully toward you. O Lord, we have been humiliated, our kings, our leaders, and our ancestors, because we have sinned against you. Yet the Lord, our God, is compassionate and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God by living according to his laws that he set before us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has broken your law and turned away by not obeying you. Therefore, you have poured out on us the judgment solemnly threatened in the law of Moses, the servant of God, 
for we have sinned against you. He has carried out his threats against us and our rulers who were over us by bringing great calamity on us. What has happened to Jerusalem has never been equaled under all heaven, just as it is written in the law of Moses. So all this calamity has come on us. Still, we have not tried to pacify the Lord our God by turning back from our sin and by seeking wisdom from your reliable moral standards. The Lord was mindful of the calamity and he brought it on us. For the Lord our God is just in all he has done and we have not obeyed him. Now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with great power and made a name for yourself that is remembered to this day. We have sinned and behaved wickedly. O Lord, according to all your justice, please turn your raging anger away from your city Jerusalem, your holy mountain. For due to our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors, Jerusalem and your people are mocked by all our neighbors. So now, our God, accept the prayer and request of your servant and show favor to your devastated sanctuary for your own sake. Listen attentively, my God, and hear. Open your eyes and look on our desolated ruin and the city called by your name. For it is not because of our own righteous deeds that we are praying to you, but because your compassion is abundant. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Don't delay for your own sake. O my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. Gabriel gives to Daniel a prophecy of 70 weeks. While I was still speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my request before the Lord my God concerning his holy mountain, yes, while I was still praying, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen previously in a vision, was approaching me in my state of extreme weariness around the time of the evening offering. He spoke with me, instructing me as follows, Daniel, I have now come to impart understanding to you. At the beginning of your request, a message went out, and I have come to convey it to you, for you are of great value in God's sight. Therefore, consider the message and understand the vision. Seventy weeks have been determined concerning your people and your holy city to put an end to rebellion, to bring sin to completion, to atone for iniquity, to bring in perpetual righteousness, to seal up the prophetic vision, and to anoint a most holy place. So no one understand. From the issuing of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until an anointed one, a prince arrived, there will be a period of seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. It will again be built with plaza and moat, but in distressful times. Now after the sixty-two weeks, an anointed one will be cut off and have nothing. As for the city and the sanctuary, the people of the coming prince will destroy them. But his end will come speedily like a flood. Until the end of the war that has been decreed, there will be destruction. He will confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of that week, he will bring sacrifices and offerings to a halt. On the wing of abominations will come one who destroys until the decreed end is poured out on the one who destroys. New Testament reading. Acts chapter 27, verses 13 through 44. When a gentle south wind sprang up, they thought they could carry out their purpose. So they weighed anchor and sailed close along the coast of Crete. Not long after this, a hurricane force wind called the Northeaster blew down from the island. When the ship was caught in it and could not head into the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. As we ran under the lee of a small island called Cauda, we were able with difficulty to get the ship's boat under control. After the crew had hoisted it aboard, they used supports to undergird the ship. Fearing they would run aground on the citrus, they lowered the sea anchor, thus letting themselves be driven along. The next day, because we were violently battered by the storm, they began throwing the cargo overboard. 
and on the third day they threw the ship's gear overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and a violent storm continued to batter us, we finally abandoned all hope of being saved. Since many of them had no desire to eat, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me, and not put out to sea from Crete, thus avoiding this damage and loss. Now I advise you to keep up your courage, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship will be lost. For last night an angel of the God, to whom I belong and whom I serve, came to me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and God has graciously granted you the safety of all who are sailing with you. Therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will be just as I have been told, but we must run aground on some island. When the fourteenth night had come, while we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors suspected they were approaching some land. They took soundings and found the water was twenty fathoms deep. When they had sailed a little farther, they took soundings again and found it was fifteen fathoms deep. Because they were afraid that we would run aground on the rocky coast, they threw out four anchors from the stern and wished for day to appear. Then when the sailors tried to escape from the ship and were lowering the ship's boat into the sea, pretending that they were going to put out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut the ropes of the ship's boat and let it drift away. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day you have been in suspense and have gone without food. You have eaten nothing. Therefore I urge you to take some food, for this is important for your survival. For not one of you will lose a hair from his head. After he said this, Paul took bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all, broke it, and began to eat. So all of them were encouraged and took food themselves. We were in all 276 persons on the ship. When they had eaten enough to be satisfied, they lightened the ship by throwing the wheat into the sea. Paul is shipwrecked. When day came, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. So they slipped the anchors and left them in the sea the same time loosening the linkage that bound the steering oars together. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and steered toward the beach. But they encountered a patch of cross currents and ran the ship aground. The bow stuck fast and could not be moved, but the stern was being broken up by the force of the waves. Now the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners so that none of them would escape by swimming away. But the centurion, wanting to save Paul's life, prevented them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land, and the rest were to follow, some on planks, some on pieces of the ship, and in this way, all were brought safely to land. This is the word of God for the people of God. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. Let us go boldly to God's throne of grace. Sovereign Lord, I thank you for your word, O oh God. Thank you, O oh God, for these passages, O oh God, that really highlights, O oh God, the ways, O oh God, that our faith, our religion interacts, O oh God, with governmental systems and politics, O oh God. And it does absolutely run counter, O oh God, to the government in those ways, O oh God. We know that you've appointed leaders for us, O oh God, to care for the people, to rule and to govern the people, O oh God. And yes, we are called to submit to those rulers so long as they're not calling us to sin against you or your word, oh God. I just pray, oh God, that you would give us eyes, oh God, and a heart and wisdom and discernment, oh God, to know the times that we are in and to know what to do, oh God. We are living in a very toxic political climate, oh God, that is deeply polarized, oh God. And we need your wisdom. We need your grace. We need your compassion that moves toward the marginalized, the minoritized, that moves toward those who are under the foot of Caesar, 
so to speak, O oh God. I am praying, O oh God, that you would give us wisdom, O oh God, that Christians, O oh God, would not shirk their responsibility, O oh God, and be apolitical, O oh God. We know, O oh Lord God, that you have called us, O oh God, to not only be kingdom citizens, but to be um, good stewards and to be good citizens here in the countries where you have set us in, O oh God. So would you help us, O oh Lord, not to be cowardly, O oh God, when it comes to politics, not to be afraid <laughs> to take a stand, O oh God. Jesus took a stand against the state and the state killed him. Time and again, we see Paul, we see Peter testifying before the great council. We see Paul testifying before King Agrippa, O oh God. Would you help us, O oh God, not to read your word and see, O oh God, all of the relevant connections to our present day? A reality, oh God. Your word has a lot to say about so many things, oh God. It is sufficient for what it speaks to. Would you help us to be a people that seek your face, oh God, that you that move in excellence, but with a spirit of love, and that we would seek the good of our neighbors, oh God, when it comes to our interaction with politics, oh God. And would you help us, oh God, to grow in our political education, oh God, so that we might shine forth our light, oh Lord God, so that our faith might be made evident by the ways, oh God, that we choose, oh God, to vote, oh God, in ways that are helpful for those who are suffering, for those not yet citizens in this land, oh God. Would you help us, oh God? to be of good use, O oh God, while we are here. Help us not to only be kingdom, heavenly minded that we are of no earthly good, but we are kingdom minded to be of earthly good. So would you help us, O oh God, not to shy away from this reality of the intersection of politics and religion, knowing, O oh God, that you, O oh Lord God, heart of the king is in your hands and you turn it in the way that pleases you. You are the one that set up rulers and puts down another. You are heavily involved in politics, oh God. So would you give us the wisdom, oh God, to see what is happening in the spirit, oh Lord God, realm, so that we might have the wisdom, the knowledge to know what we ought to do, oh God, when we have the opportunity to cast our votes, oh Lord God, and to engage politically, oh God. I pray all of this in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Christians often dream about the possibility of revival, but revival doesn't come because we wish or plan for it. Revival occurs when groups of people pray together. However, praying together effectively doesn't come easily, and we're often left wondering how to best engage in the work of intercession. In her book, The Power of Group Prayer, Carolyn Carney draws from her decades of ministry experience to equip pastors, small group leaders, or anyone who wants a deeper prayer life to lead others in the kind of prayer that is necessary for effective, resilient ministry. Come to a place of deep intimacy with God as you learn ways to pray in community. As a listener of this podcast, you can get 30% off the power of group prayer, plus free U.S. shipping when you use the promo code, the word. That's code T-H-E-W-O-R-D at ivypress.com. We pray this time of getting the word with Truth Table has encouraged us all to not only be hearers of God's word, but doers. Share your reflections on these scriptures with us on Twitter and Instagram using the hashtag GetInTheWord and hashtag TruthsTable. Saints, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, 
Think about these things, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Go with God. Get in the Word with Truth's Table is a production of InterVarsity Press. For 75 years, IVP has created and published resources that deepen lives for Christ to engage the university, church, and the world. Visit ivpress.com for more information. Our Bible reading plan is from biblestudytogether.com, and the Bible version is the new English translation used by permission. Sound engineering is from Pottery Studios, and our executive producer is Helen Lee. Yeah.